I'll be reading from Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord. may be seated. Thank you for the reading, Lisa. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly. There's a, uh, I don't, I just think this is funny. There's like a meme of, um, of when they say the name of the movie in the movie, like, oh, they said the name, isn't that great? This is the heist. Uh, there's a famous compilation of it in The Lord of the Rings where he says, oh, it's the tale of the two towers, like, and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, isn't that great? I don't know why I find that joyful when they actually say the name of the movie in the movie. Um, but that's this Sunday. Um, this, this, this will make sense. Um, this series has been called uh, Instructions for Building a House, and what we heard finally after we went through the 14 sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, is where Jesus uh, tells us that these are instructions for building a house, for being wise, for hearing the words and doing them, that these sort of build up um, to this moment. And so this whole time we've been saying, you know, these are instructions for building a house. And if you hadn't read ahead, which is a joke, um, you wouldn't know that this is where it ends, that Christ actually does say that these words of his are instructions for building a house in the world. And so as I was thinking about it this week, um, there's two sort of observations here at the front end of, of, of one was um, I listened to the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety um, twice this week. And what became clear to me was I've been thinking about it in, we've, we've done 14 sermons on one sermon, which is funny when you think about it. Um, but that, not nearly enough, yeah. Well, you already got four more than we had intended, um, four or five more. Um, but the uh, um, we didn't hear the words yet. Like, we didn't hear them read aloud in one setting. And so I was going back and forth on, should I read the whole sermon or should I not? And I think I asked Kelly this morning, and she was like, just read. I said, I have a 30-minute sermon, and then I, ha- I can read the sermon, and that's 15 minutes, and give a 15-minute sermon. And she said, we'll do that. And I think in her mind it was like, what are you going to say with the extra 15 minutes that's better than the Sermon on the Mount? She didn't say that, but I could see that she was, she was thinking that. Um, and, and so we're, I'm going to read through the whole thing, um, and I encourage you to just listen, not, not follow along. If you want to follow along, you can, follow, you can read it in the 15 minutes where I'm talking. Um, that's what I always tell people. Listen to scripture when it's read at church. If you need to revisit it, just revisit it when the pastor's up there. Um, 
And, uh, and then I'll say a little bit about it, but I want to be conscious of time. But I think it's worth doing to hear it all in one thing. And, and as I listened to it earlier this week, I, as I thought it was like, you know, Matthew compiled Jesus' greatest hits is, is the way I sort of thought of it. Is that, and he puts it in this place with Jesus up on the mountain with the disciples near him to, to bring theological meaning to all these words that if he just said, and then Jesus said in another place, and then Jesus said in another place, that, that it wouldn't quite carry that weight. But as I listened to it once, I actually was surprised, or twice, that how well it actually does work as one sermon um, in the right sort of phrasing, in the right sort of timing. Um, it really can stand together as one sermon. So I'm going to read through the Sermon on the Mount. I encourage you to listen, um, and then I'll try to be brief in my words on the other end. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a, on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these words will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness passes that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment, and anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the officer. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison." 
Truly, I tell you, will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your enemies and hate your enemy. You love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets and with hypocrites, as hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not go on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need when you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their word in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it may not be obvious to others that you are fasting. And only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any of you add by worrying, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pig. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who, though you are evil, know how to good give good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road, that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in your name and drive out many demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them is into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord. Need some water after that real fast. And I, I was quite aware that I would read it faster than the audio version, which was done artfully and skillfully then. So that is the, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why I think it was important to do today in particular is, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's hearing these words. This is the permanent thing that we build upon to last. That's how you become wise. Shelley read from the book of Proverbs for us this morning, and that uh, contains this, this idea of what is wisdom. And it's interesting, I think, in the world um, today, Christians focus on truth a lot, but we don't focus on wisdom as much. Because wisdom has sort of a practical reality and a nature to it that, that doesn't seem to carry as much weight in the world today. Truth is, is fact, and, and we value fact. But wisdom is practice. Wisdom is doing. Wisdom is found in sort of its ways on, um, on the rough ground, per se. Wisdom has this practical nature to it in which it is lived out and applied correctly. Truth is just one thing, um, and you either accept it or you don't. But wisdom is, is, the, is knowing and applying these things in the correct way. So the next um, four summers, if you were wondering, we'll be walking through wisdom literature instead of the Torah since we finished that. That would bring us through Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Job, and the Song of Songs. And I, I joke that there is now one more book I can pray that Jesus refer, returns until I get to preaching on it in Song of Songs. Um, but if he calls my bluff again, we will be here discussing uh, the Song of Songs and, and all its glory. But this last section calls that out for us. And, and if you've listened to this last section this time, there's this way in which Christ is, is sort of saying there is this world. There is this wide gate. There is this way in which you can be. There is two ways of building a house. And yet disciples are called to be in the world in a different way. Um, 
the, uh, the, the phrase that we've been sort of using for that, or the image, is this one in which the disciples are near Jesus, and he is giving them a different way of being in the world. It's hard to use this word, but what Jesus is giving his disciples is a, is a politic, a body politic of a way of relating and being in the world that is different from the one that the world offers. Uh, I was thinking back to um, uh, the, the quote about how we try to explain the world what we believe is what they believe when what we believe has properly been explained. But when, in fact, if you listen to these words and build upon the rock, it's not like we believe what the world believes, but just with prayer um, or, or an extra, you know, I'm busy for an hour and a half on Sunday and you're not. Um, it's, it's we, believe what the world, we believe what the church believes, what Christ instructs us in, and these things are not obvious to the world. To love your enemies, to turn the other cheek, to resist anxiety and the drive for money and, and all that there is. I mean, these are clear teachings here, and yet, um, and judge not. I mean, I think I was talking to Shelby and Jesse afterwards where I missed the point. Is like, what if the church was the one place and we got together and didn't spend all our time judging other people? Um, you know, they did this, they're so stupid. They did that, they're so stupid. I um, had Fox News and CNN blocked for a long time on my uh, phone and, and um, computer, and somehow it got unblocked. And it's like, it's just one yells at the other, you're an idiot. And the other yells at the other, you're an idiot. And they're not even covering the same news stories. It's just sort of like this antagonism up to degree. Like, what if it was, you know, the church, the world would say, we value not judging. There's like not a lot of evidence that that's true, especially when you really scratch the surface. What would it mean for the church to say that within our politic, we look at the world and see its dismay, but we don't judge? Um, even within our walls, can we live without judging one another? That might be the highest hope of all for, for a church. Um, and yet this politic that Christ gives us is this different way of sort of being in the world, and it's, it's the world that witnesses it. That's that sort of um, outside circle. So the disciples are on the inside being drawn toward Jesus. The outside circle of people are witnessing what the church does in the world. And the walls, the walls I drew it as a, as a straight line, but the walls to come into the church are porous. People can come into that kingdom too. They can be called the same way that Matthew will tell us that the disciples are called upon the road or that this story ends with go forth teaching them all that I've commanded you and baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that, that we initiate new people into this politic, into this kingdom, into this way of being in the world. And so this is where the sermon ends for us. And it's with this contrast between hearers and doers. In this parable that it ends with, both sides hear, but one puts the words into practice. It's almost as uh, one commentator pointed out that, that this, is a, this is a parable for just Christians. There are the people who come together and hear the words of Christ and put them into practice. And there are people who don't come together and don't put them into practice. It would be nice to think that this is out there for the rest of the world, but perhaps it is just for us to say, are we putting these words into practice? And not, as I say all the time, not just individually, but as a community. Um, it, would be, uh, it wouldn't be a body politic if it was just you. It would be like opinions. Um, it would be a body politic if there were more people engaged in it. 
And one of the things that I think is important to point out is that grace is found in the community doing it. Grace is found in, in the movement into that spot. And so what we have here is two people who, who build houses. And I like that, that idea is that like, even if you say, well, I've heard the words and I'm not going to do them, you're still building a house and a life. And what I like about this one is that, the, that I would like to hear Jesus say, and then if you put these words into practice, your house is large and amazing and much bigger than the shanty in the sand. But what actually sets the houses apart are, are, are the fact that one remains through the storms and that the other doesn't. It's, and it, this is, I think, a critical thing for us to grasp today, and I think it's critical for the church to grasp in all times, is that um, what Jesus is pointing out is it's survival that comes with building up your house on the rock, not sensation. It doesn't say that this house is much bigger, much grander, much better, or anything like that. And so as the storms of life come, and they're both houses, and it's not like I would, I would in theory, also like Jesus to say, well, you build your house on a high plane where there are no problems. But the foolish man builds his house in the, in the sand bed, and there's problems down there. Christ does not exempt us from the storms of the world. What he does is says that if you build on this rock, which is his words, your house has permanence. It has a sense of survival to it. Um, and, and so for us, it's, it's to think that way. We're building it regardless. And I meant uh, to have sand. I couldn't find any um, in a rock. Just to say that building your house on the sand is easy. And that's why people do it. But taking the time to build your house on the rock takes more time, takes more intentionality, takes more effort. And, and it's worth remembering that the house, the rock, which is Jesus' words, comes before we build the house. So what saves in this is not you're building the house. What saves is that you built them on the word that saves, that is Christ, the rock. Um, so it's not your effort that is salvific here. You're going to build a house either way. But if you find the words of grace and truth that comes from Christ, that inimitably in, in sort of puts your house on the rock. So the saving isn't anything you do in the building of your house other than choosing the location, the shifting sands of the world, or the rock that is Christ. And so the sand, uh, the house on the sand looks easier and the same. Uh, storms come, come for both um, uh, I'm trying to think, looking through my notes here as I cut stuff out from the 30-minute version of the sermon. Um, it ends with that there was a great crash um, for the house on the sand. The final words of the sermon is, then there was a great crash. And just because I think it's important to do so, it's worth considering the fact of the great crashes within our lives or the great crashes that we're avoiding when we build our houses on the sand. There's, uh, you think about family secrets or personal secrets of, of sort of um, alcoholism or um, um, uh, pornography addiction or darkness or abuse or whatever you want to say, that when those things come out, and there's two ways in which that works, sorry. One is um, those things will fall down. 
um, in the storms and tensions of life. And what, what Christ is, is in part referring to is the great eschatological sort of judgment, this final storm that God brings. Those houses will fall. Uh, and so if it's the harm you experience from those houses, that falls, and in some sense that's good news. But if it's your wing of your house that you've built on that, and the secret comes out, or somehow you're caught in your dysfunction or this, it's, it's for us as a church to offer the grace to say that the storm caused a great crash. And yet we can help each other pick up the pieces again and build our house upon the rock. Um, we can live secret lives in a, in a divided church, and it makes it hard for us to sort of do this. And so, um, but to hear that, that the great crash is where it ends um, is, is but an invitation this side of the eschatological sort of judgment, an invitation to rebuild on something solid. And for church to, to own that, I think, is to say, as you confess whatever your faults or darkness might be, that we can say there is a great crash, we don't go, oh, it's, it's not so bad. Um, the, grash, the, the crash is the truth of it. And yet the church can be a people who helps people rebuild their house upon the rock. And in that, we build something that lasts and something that is permanent. And so it is for us to become this type of community that has grace in doing this together. Just because it's the last time, Here's this, and I won't um, spend time on that. I think we've done enough um, with it, except to hear that this is, um, this, is the, this is where this comes from, is that we have to be doers of this. We're not just hearers. Um, so the second part, we ought to do this. We ought to therefore recognize that third sentence, our inability but our obligation. If we say, well, we can't do it, let's stop, we sort of cut off the end of the sermon. Um, Here's where it begins and ends. Uh, this is, I think, closing thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount. This is on the back of the bulletin for today, which I found quite helpful. Instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, ask her whether you have done the day the one thing he said. Do it or once abstain because he said. Do not do it. He, do not do it. It is simply absurd to say you believe it uh, or even want to believe in him if you do not do anything he tells you. George MacDonald, uh, this is from an unpublished sermon, I think, which is partially wise because you don't say this stuff often to your church and keep your job. Um, but uh, do it. Like it comes in the practice of doing this thing. It comes in being this way. It becomes in being a disciple. And if you think about the house building, is this we're all being discipled and formed in some way. And what does it mean to do that in a different way? For the church to be this contrast in the world, um, to open up ourselves to moving away from lust and murder, cheap words and destruction, anxiety and greed, and to sort of move our lives into a different space, to become sort of citizens of the kingdom of heaven that God calls us to. So the last point for today's sermon um, is to become creatively maladjusted. Uh, this week I was on um, a Zoom call, uh, the bane of hell in my existence in some ways is anything that starts with Zoom, whatever, Zoom meetings, Zoom calls, and 
Uh, we have a Zoom house of defiance that is like right at purgatory. So um, it's not the worst. Um, but uh, I was on a Zoom call and it was a book on Montessori education. And the first chapter of this Montessori book was like, why Montessori education isn't weird. Um, and I was like, well, that's like not that helpful. Um, and I was thinking of this phrase uh, from Martin Luther King about creative maladjustment. Like, and what King says is, is in the 1960s, well-adjusted, are your kids well-adjusted is becoming uh, a thing. Are you well-adjusted to the world? Are you well-adjusted to doing these things? And what King says in his sermon, which I will never be able to quote with the power and authority that he does, um, he says that perhaps we should try to become maladjusted to the dysfunctions of our world. He says to the maladjustions of segregation and, and racism and all that. And I think that those are kind of like peak things in our world today, but we live in Glenwood Springs. How do we become maladjusted to other things that are so predominantly um, echoing throughout our world? How do we become maladjusted to, to the addiction to screens and technology? How do we become maladjusted to the medical industrial complex being the savior of all our needs until we die? How do we become creatively maladjusted to um, the over-sexualization of children, to adults, to just about everything? Um, how do we become creatively maladjusted to all these sort of dysfunctions that sort of live in the world, not just as individuals, but as a church? And so the task for us being citizens of this kingdom is to work on, on our creative maladjustment as we are pulled out of the world in our baptisms towards Christ in the kingdom and through his body in the church to be a different thing. The other phrase that I use with this often is, is you have to push back on the age as hard as it pushes against you. I was listening to an interview with um, Roger Scruton, who was an English sort of philosopher um, who, who died this past year. But in one of his final interviews, he said, I fear I've been too soft. And they were like, you're hated by everyone. Like, what do you mean? Um, uh, he's, he's, he's for permanent things, which I guess makes him a conservative. But in American politics, that wouldn't, he wouldn't be a conservative in that way. But, you know, he's hated by everyone. He said, well, you know, I'm, I've been a fine English gentleman, and I've said things in a kind way. But he said, humanity is always on the brink of more destruction than I think it is. And I wish I had named that better than I had. As we seek to become creatively maladjusted in the world, perhaps it's time for the church to stop being as polite as we can in it, too. There's a... To be a Christian, but to be a Christian with teeth, which might be the only way to be a Christian anyways, is perhaps our call today. Um, to have courage and strength and knowledge that this is building our house upon the rock. And that the storms that come will be the place where our permanence is found. That in Christ's words, we build in that place. And so I'll close with this final prayer. Almighty God, give us grace to be not only hearers, but doers of thy holy word. Not only to admire, but, not, not only to, admire, but to obey your doctrine not only to profess, but to practice your religion, not only to love, but to live your gospel. So grant that we may learn of your, of your glory, we may receive it into our hearts, and show forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.